All right, the first lesson today is Gentiles hear the good news. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. From the Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message to you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, looked at him, and held his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Find acceptance in Thee alone, O Lord. Where else shall we go? For You have the words of eternal life. Amen. Uh, In a few minutes when you wake up from the sermon, uh, you'll be told to stand and recite the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's It's a tradition that when you get to the end of the sermon, we do something that involves people standing up That way we make sure they're fully awake after the sermon is concluded. The Apostles' Creed 
as it was received, uh, was not written by the apostles. It is an attempt to summarize by the church what were the teachings of the apostles, the ones who were eyewitnesses to the life and miracles and death and resurrection of Jesus, and who were also witnesses to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born. And so it is the thoughts, the words, the beliefs that the apostles were trying to convey. It's divided into three sentences. One, the shortest sentence, about our Creator God. The next, about our redeeming Christ. And the third, about the Holy Spirit that brings life to the church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. Now, if you heard that and you'd already dozed off, you maybe think the service is almost over. I'm sorry, we still have a little more to do. A quick aside about that little phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Every Protestant pastor who's ever taught a confirmation class gets the same question. I thought we were Protestants and we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And then we explain, no, no, it's Catholic small c. It means universal. It means all-inclusive. It's not Roman Catholic Church. It's the Holy Catholic Church. It's, it's all the churches. It's like the Church of Christ doesn't mean that they're the only church. Well, some of them do, but... It is the word Catholic includes Roman Catholics and the Church of Christ. And if you stretch your heart big enough, even Presbyterians. Note that the word Catholic then includes also the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. It's a big word that requires a big heart. But I digress. For a brief moment in the 20th century, the churches thought, well, let's get rid of the whole Catholic question and just change the word to universal. I believe in the holy universal church. And then someone comes up and says, I thought we were Protestants, not Unitarian Universalists. It didn't solve the problem, so we went back to the word Catholic. It seems to be sticking, but always in the Protestant church with a footnote. But The creed raises questions, and this being Easter... We are focusing this morning on the second sentence of the Apostles' Creed, which begins, And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. It's the longest sentence of the Apostles' Creed uh, because it has gone through all of the elements that we know of Christ's life and death and resurrection. This long sentence has also suffered from some modernization. The first shift was in the moment of conception who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And everybody said, well, that's kind of strange. And so the church said, well, we'll solve that. We'll refer to the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Ghost so as not to frighten the children. And so some churches say, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And everyone else says, wait a minute, our question was actually about conceived, but we just move on. And then we move to the next phrase, which is equally troublesome, and that has born of the Virgin Mary virgin birth, but that's Christmas. We'll talk about that in several months. Right now we're going to talk about Easter. What's incredible to me is how the creed rushes from Christmas, born of the Virgin Mary, to the other end of Jesus' life, suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's as if the little babe in Bethlehem is all of a sudden getting ready for the cross, and all of that time of 30-some years is bridged by a simple comma. 
On the third day, he rose again from the dead. That's why we're here this morning. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried. Third day, he rose again from the dead. And then we move to Ascension Sunday, followed by the future orientation of the church. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. There's another word we play with, the quick and the dead. When I was teaching confirmation years ago, one of my confirmation students came up to me at the end of service. There were lots of people clogging the aisles to get out through the narthex, and he had someplace else he wanted to be. And as he walked past, he said, Pastor Jonathan, I'm worried about our church because while they're not dead, they're also not very quick. (laughs) And so some churches say the living and the dead in order to make that a little clear. But I digress. I want to talk about Yesterday, yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. By yesterday, I mean Saturday, when the creed says Jesus was not afforded even a single day of rest after the crucifixion. He still had work to do. And we say it in the phrase, he descended into hell. He descended into hell. Now, some have made that more palatable. They say that Jesus descended to the dead. We play with the words all the time to try and make the creed more comfortable. Uh, if you don't think we do it, uh, please realize we don't say it in Latin, right? Okay? The fact we say it in English means we're struggling to make it somehow relevant. But the thought of Jesus descending into hell, particularly for those who are really uncomfortable with the notion of hell, it's been changed to descended to the dead. Hell seems so... I don't know, medieval. It's the place where trident-wielding beasties post-roasting sinners basting over firing coals like, I don't know, a marshmallow. (laughs) If Jesus descended to the dead, the theological image is this, that he went to the place where all of the faithful who had been born and died before the atoning sacrifice of the cross are waiting to be released from the weight of their sins, and upon Jesus' death, they're liberated from captivity and finally permitted to go up into heaven. It's, it's like they were sitting in the afterlife air terminal waiting for the next flight, except a lot of them got stranded there before the airplane was invented. And so they were at baggage claim for a long, long, long time. Except, the original Latin does not say he descended to his dead. doesn't say that. It says specifically hell. Descendant ad infernum. Not descendant ad morte. Descended ad infernum. The inferno. Trust me. I really am going somewhere for this. When I warned you, you might doze off. You might say, yeah, he's right about that. I really, I really am going somewhere with this. So here in the Gospel of Matthew, the angel, and then Jesus, urged the women to go and meet the risen Jesus in Galilee. Except they go to Jerusalem. They don't see Jesus in Galilee till a couple of weeks later when Jesus fixes Sunday brunch by the lake and makes them some some salmon and fish. So 
why is the angel and Jesus saying, go to Galilee and there you will see me? Why would it be that either the angel or the disciples got the geography wrong? Two days ago, we gathered at a community service over at Plymouth Place for Good Friday. There the members of the ministerium read the seven last words of Christ's utterances of great grief, unimaginable pain, the anguish of our dying Savior. We sang, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? In this season, we spend a, a great deal of time witnessing to the trauma of those last hours on Good Friday. Don't get me wrong, the crucifixion was horrid, a horrid way to die. But not all deep wounds bleed in ways that are visible to the human eye. If you want to recognize the depths of Jesus' pain, then you have to follow the angel's instructions. You have to go all the way back to Galilee, where Jesus' ministry began. Read the passages again through the lens of the resurrection. It was in Galilee that he ministered to the segmented, tormented lives of the lepers. The grief of worried parents with children about to die. The horror of those tormented by mental distress. The smug privilege of the ruling elites who saw the rest of God's children as less than trash. In Galilee, Jesus knew the humiliation of public shame, the relentlessness of human anxiety, the news of the execution of his cousin and friend, double points, Chris, John the Baptist. Jesus knew the torture of attempting to preach love and healing and peace and reconciliation to people who would have none of it by returning again to the ministry of Jesus in Galilee through the understanding of the resurrection we're transported and recognize Christ's true descent into hell we return and see the ministry again of Jesus in Galilee by understanding that his descent into hell was not some theological necessity to account for pre-crucifixion souls. I believe that theology is only useful if it changes how you feel and see the world. Theology is only profound if it transforms the way in which we witness to love and to life and to hope. So I ask you to feel it. Can you feel the message that Jesus reached down to the very hellish depths of human reality? To the very places where Ukrainian refugees scramble to flee starvation and torturous death? Where parents deny themselves everything to simply feed their own children? 
where men and women loved by God are forced to live on the margins, dismissed by poverty or gender or race or ability, you name it. All the searing flames of human judgment that threaten to burn the dignity of those who are created in God's own image. Where words like death and loss and pain and cancer and denial and rejection and loneliness and sorrow echo off the brimstone walls and sear the broken heart. Make no mistake, before our Lord was risen, He descended into hell. Not a mysterious Hades, but the real inferna of our human condition. The message of Easter is not only the glorious proclamation that He has risen from the dead, But the redeeming news that before Jesus rose, Jesus descended even into hell. Our hell. That we might know even there the grand and Catholic news. The universal message that everyone who has known hell may also know the resurrection. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Please stand and join with me and speak the words of the Apostles' Creed as our affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body.